This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. I'm joined today by a very special guest, my friend, a member of our church, Laura Whiffler. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. You bet. Now, okay, Laura, just a little background on you. Um, some people here may recognize you from like Risen Motherhood sort of podcast. You've had a ministry that's been awesome. So thanks for all that you do there at RM. And today is a little different slant, though, because you're less here as Laura Risen Motherhood and more here as Laura Whiffler, Cornerstone member and mom and someone who has a deep personal experience connected with a child with disability. And so part one of this two-part podcast, we spent some time talking about the intrinsic value of people made in God's image, period. That is Christians caring about people made in God's image. That's not an anti-abortion stance. That's a, we love the image of God in its full expression. And that impacts in a broken and sin-cursed world, the fact that always that image is expressed in a marred and distorted way. So what do we do with disability when we see it in the world? How do we do that? So we wrestle a little with the theology of that, Laura. This is really practical. We want to actually ask the question of how do we love and care for our friends, our family members, our church members, who might be parents of children with disability or person with disability themselves? And so you've got some personal experience. So I'm going to ask you just to give a little of your journey, a little of Eden and her story and the diagnosis, if you would, to kind of give us a little perspective there, Laura. Absolutely. Yeah. My um, daughter's name is Eden and she is almost five. She turns five next week. And so I'm sure for those listening to the podcast that go to Cornerstone, they may remember Eden from running around. You know, she kind of owns the church and runs up to all sorts of people with her big pink glasses and often has pigtails on. And they may even remember her in her little walker, you know, running around um, through. She loved the concrete floors at Cornerstone because she could really Glide smooth surface there. Yes, exactly. So, um, but she was diagnosed with disabilities when she was just two months old. Uh, we had a little bit of a, a bumpy end of the pregnancy. And so we knew that maybe something was different and that we had some questions, but we weren't really certain. And then at about two months old, we started doing genetic testing and going through kind of the diagnosis journey. You know, rarely is diagnosis this one and done thing with disabilities, but it's often an unfolding of an understanding of what um, the child might have. And so she has what's called rare chromo. Uh, she has a really, really unique uh, genetic disease. She is the only one in the world who is at least known to have what she has, which really means that her path has always been very unknown. So when she was diagnosed, the doctors kind of said, hey, we don't really know if she'll ever walk. We don't really know if she'll talk. We got uh, about five pages, single-spaced of all of the potential issues that she might have. And they were kind of like, hey, here are some things that when we see types of uh, duplications like what your daughter has, these are some of the things that we're concerned about. So that immediately put us into a big medical journey of discovering um, what she would need. There was not only a lot of global developmental delays, but also a lot of high medical needs. So we were living near Chicago at the time. So a lot of that stuff didn't happen while we were in Ames, but eventually we did move to Ames um, 
Some of that was even to just have family support around disabilities. I have a nephew who also has uh, significant disabilities, and um, that's actually been a huge gift to for our family who, you know, I have two brothers. We actually have two children with disabilities within our, our small family of 11 grandkids. So um, it's definitely a big part of our life, and it has been just amazing to watch Eden's journey. Like we talked about, she now walks on her own. She can jump and run. Um, she also can talk. And sometimes it might be a little garbled. You might not understand her, but she definitely communicates her wishes. And it's a real joy to see all of the new skills that she's consistently learning. So yeah. that's a little bit about, about Eden specifically in our journey. Well, Eden is a delightful young lady. If you've been at Cornerstone, I'm sure you know her. <laughs> she is. She's all over. She's and I, and I love it. I love seeing her there. And as a parent, Lord, talk me through how people talk to you about your child with disability, because this is one of those where often it's like, how do I show I care and I want to know, but yet not be insensitive in the way I approach and ask the question, coach me a little bit on that. <laughs> I, I totally get this. I mean, it was just five years ago where I feel like I was on the other side and didn't know how to talk about it with some of my other friends as well. And so I get this. And I think that's the first thing to remember is that parents with kids with disabilities, like we understand that it's kind of awkward to talk about it or that maybe you feel uncomfortable. And so kind of the, the worst thing you can do is to never say anything at all, you know? And so just even the fact that you try, even if it isn't perfect or you say all the right words, there's just something so meaningful to us when you do ask and say that you care. And so I think that um, a great way, if you're just getting to know and meet somebody kind of newer to you that has a child with a disability or maybe they have a disability themselves, you can say something like, hey, can I ask you more about what your diagnosis is or what the child's diagnosis is? I would love to be able to pray for you, or I would love to be able to learn more. And so that's just an easy way of, you know, don't make it your lead question. Um, but it's something that as you get to know them, you can ask. And then ongoing, if you know them better, or you want to continue to ask about it, you can say something like, hey, what's your child learning in therapy? What are they working on right now? Um, that'll often open up a lot of great questions. Or um, say, do you have any doctor's appointments this week? That's really great too for anybody who has a high medical needs child. They often are looking for someone to talk to about it and maybe want to process it, but it also allows them to be like, yeah, we just have like one or two this week. And they can kind of be short if maybe maybe it's hard to talk about or they don't want to. It offers a chance for a parent, I think, to be able to take it far or to be able to kind of shut it down if they don't want to be talking about it. Because sometimes we are on the verge of tears or we are feeling really tender about it. And so just offering that opportunity to speak, but also a way out is good. And then lastly, I would say you can also say just, hey, how are you doing with disabilities today? And I know this is for any grief. This is always something that's really helpful where we kind of pinpoint it to, how are you doing with your grief right now? Because oftentimes when you're going through grief, you don't really know how you feel and you have good days and you have bad days. And to try to sum it up feels impossible. But for you to just say, right this moment, how do you feel? Oftentimes somebody can articulate that and that offers a chance to get a little bit deeper with one another and be able to talk through it. So you mentioned the word there, grief. That's an interesting one to think about as a concept because if you're a friend with someone, you see Eden, you see a family as a child with a disability and you think, I want to move toward them, but I don't quite know how. And so there's some coaching on like, here's how I talk about it. But it's also with grief. That's the thing is people, 
in grief, I watch people who've been friends with them for years at the funeral not know what to do right now. Like, I don't know, I don't know how to enter in to this sort of situation. So give me, you've given me coaching on how to talk. Give me coaching on tangible love. Yes. How do I move to meaningful action toward my friend? What do I do there? That's a good question. So I think one thing to know about grief with disability is that it's kind of a continual unfolding, like I mentioned previously. So a lot of times with sickness or um, even with death, there's like this kind of final moment and you, you feel like, okay, now we all have to learn how to move on. But often as a disability, it's like the other way where you hold all this hope and then suddenly your hope gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller as you realize, oh, okay, these are the things that they're not going to do. And, uh, you know, like it's like anything coming into terms with reality where you're trying to figure out how to not grieve what you haven't been asked to grieve, but you're also trying to protect yourself against like protect yourself against any um, potential hopes that could get dashed. And it's a really odd journey compared to maybe some of the other griefs that I've experienced in my life. And so with that, with tangible things, I think one thing to think about is if a friend is going through diagnosis, whether that's autism, dyslexia, or major type of disability, like what I have with Eden, that you do treat it like a grief. I think a lot of times we hear about our friends who are um, meeting with therapists and meeting with doctors and um, there's no meal train, you know, <laughs> or there's there's not necessarily people mm-hmm. aren't doing the things that they might do for, say, adoption or for foster care or for somebody who's in the hospital. And so thinking about it the way you would think about other griefs, I think is really helpful because that mom, when Eden was first diagnosed, it was a part-time job, Mark. And I don't kid you when I say it was like 15 hours a week where we oh. were at doctor's appointments, therapy, you know, three therapies a week, two doctor's appointments a week, insurance. People were in my home because it doesn't matter. But there, there was so much. And so it is a very high stress time for a parent, especially when they're first navigating diagnosis, which can last for a year. Or it can last maybe even longer as they get their feet under them. Um, another thing is I think if you're getting to know a mom who has a child with disabilities or even someone with disabilities to be able to say, Hey, how can I make sure you enjoy your time when you come? And that offers them the chance to be able to say, Hey, I actually just, um, being at the park would be hard because my child might run away. Could we meet in an indoor space or, you know, being at this, this play place is too stimulating for my child. Can we do a one-on-one play date over here? So I think a lot of times it can feel isolating as a parent to a child with disabilities because we maybe can't go to some of the play dates that a mom typically organizes, or we can't go to the barbecue or we can't go to the pool um, for fear that, you know, just things might happen or it doesn't work well with our child's like neurodivergence. And so asking, how can I make your time successful is like such a gift and breath of fresh air. Hmm. Um, That's a great piece. Yeah. And another thing I would even say is, is to help. Um, So I think, again, when we have kiddos, especially with significant disabilities, right, you've got wheelchairs or feeding tubes or adaptive equipment that feels kind of like, whoa, what do I do with this? Um, Taking time to say, especially if you're a close friend or you want to know and spend more time with this parent, hey, can I learn how to put the feeding tube in? You know, hey, can can I learn how to put on the braces? Um, Having my daughter had AFOs for a while um, and SMOs for a while. Those are little 
foot braces that you put on and then you, you know, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And you have to be taught. And when my friend said, Hey, I want to learn, show me how to do that. That was such a gift to me to feel like, Oh, now they can watch my daughter and I don't have to worry about her foot braces being put on or her dietary restrictions. So saying I'm willing to learn about these medical needs is incredibly helpful. Um, and then an, another thing you could even do, sorry, I could go on forever, Mark. <laughs> no, I, okay. Laura, these are all really good. Okay. I mean, I'm sitting here taking notes. It, like <laughs> even one of my big notes I had was your doctor can't give you a meal train. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Think like, oh, our friends are being cared for through this professional mm-hmm. layer of care. Well, yeah, sure they are. It, like you shouldn't be your doctor. And like, you shouldn't play your friend's doctor. That's one thing. If I'm telling people what not to do, (laughs) I had a cousin who did, everyone somehow wants to diagnose everything. I think it's like a WebMD thing, Laura. (laughs) It's not just disability, it's just anything. Oh, you're sniffly? Well, I had a cousin who went to an (laughs) Stop it with that, people. You're not a doctor. Don't play one on TV, okay? Yes. But some of it is like, but your doctor has all sorts of things that you can't do as a friend. Yeah. And I yep. think that picture for me with a parent and disability is so helpful. It's asking all the, all the time, well, I can't do this, but what can I? Mm-hmm. As a friend, there's actually things I can move toward that no one else can. Mm, so doing yep. that stuff, you know, <laughs> that that's an, a, a powerful thing. It, you had one thing you mentioned one time, Laura, where it was about, so you have like your friend that helps. Well, we have older kids. And so our older kids like younger kids. Yeah. And so I'm wondering even about that, like you have older kids who come with you say, hey, I want to help you know the best way to interact with Eden. Yes. And just empower them. Give give what you can give, not what you don't have to give. Mm -hmm. And that'll be a a blessing. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're talking kids. I I want to ask you this. You could go on this question too. And I know you have a passion for it. What can I do as a parent mm-hmm. to be proactive about helping my child? Because everybody knows children, they're naive, they're innocent. They see the kid in the wheelchair or in the walker and they go, hey, what's wrong with that kid? Yeah. You know, like the children have the, they can't filter. So what can we do to help our kids be a little prepared for that as a parent? Yeah, this is another time where scripts come well into play. And and I am not a big fan of scripts, so please hear that. Like, I actually really, I don't like them, but I do know that sometimes having the verbiage around a topic you're unfamiliar with can be helpful. And so, yeah, when your child says, hey, what's wrong with them? That My kids have said that. I mean, they have so much disability in their lives, and they'll still see someone and be like, what's wrong with them? And so I totally get this, and I sympathize towards this. And one thing as a parent that you can do right off the bat, I think if somebody says that or one of your children do, you can just say, you know, nothing's wrong with them. And then comment on something about the child, like redirect the conversation. So don't you love the way their um, their wheelchair is blue? That's that's your favorite color. Or um, isn't that isn't that cool how they have a dinosaur on their shirt? Like maybe it's they don't have adaptive equipment. But as a parent, you can just redirect, answer the question honestly. But this is where, like what you're saying, Mark, you can have conversations at home before and after interactions with people with disabilities that I think can really help a child feel more comfortable when they are 
around people who are different or look physically different or act in different ways. And I think something right now, we all know that conversations um, in the church and in culture at large right now are really about noticing differences in people and celebrating differences. And and most of that conversation is good. Um, But something I think with disabilities that can be helpful is actually starting to notice what's the same. And Mm, this is something that, yeah, not a lot of people are really talking about right now, but I think that when we see differences in other people, it develops compassion, right? But when we see sameness, it begins to offer dignity. And we say that, I see that you are a Mago Dei. You are made in the image of God, and so am I. And so showing the children that, hey, that person that you kind of feel awkward around or you're uncomfortable because they just stole your toy and hit you over the head with it, and then they ran away, you know, I get that. That's hard for a child to cut. That's hard for a child to comprehend and understand, but being able to help them say, hey, that child is is doing the best that they can. They learn differently. They think differently than you, but they want to have friends. They want to feel included and accepted just like you do. They probably have a favorite color. They have things that they like to do. They probably like bonfires and campfires and s'mores just like you do. And so we can talk with our kids Mm -hmm. about ways to see that that people with disabilities aren't other, that actually they're they're quite a bit the same and that we can learn different things about God with them. I think we have to teach our children that it is a privilege to know another human being, no matter what they look like, no matter how they act, we have to show them the gift that it is to know another person and that that is something that they can then interact in with kindness, with um, offering that dignity like we talked about and just for our children to not be fearful, but instead to feel comfort and say, Hey, I recognize the image of God in you. And so I'm going to go towards you. Yeah. There's something in human nature that moves us away from things that are different. Yes, absolutely. Just comfort and sameness. And I do think, Laura, you're hitting on something. We could explore this. I won't go all the way into it, but the cultural idea of difference for sameness, um, Growing up, you went to a high school and everyone wore the same shirt. And (laughs) um, we do things like that because as humans, the way we bond to people is we recognize, oh, you're different, but the same. Yes. Like that, that skill is how you navigate diversity. If diversity is, oh, we're all different, then you won't actually move toward. You might feel compassion, but you won't build a friendship. You really won't because friendship takes some common bond. So I love what you're doing there, even with the child with disability saying, look, that's a person made the image of God, people made in God's image. We move toward people made in God's image. Mm -hmm. How how do we move toward that? What does that look like? Okay. Now let's, this is kind of my final zone of question. And final zone of question is thinking about the church and I want to underline to say we have been thinking about the church all the way up to this. So I think sometimes when we say we're going to think about the church, now we go to institutional programming, which can be helpful, but we neglect to say, you know, the church of God was expressing itself in the meal train. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So true. Who we are as God's people in God's family is not just an institutional expression. It's a personal reality. It's a family. But as God's church, as God's people who want to love kids with disabilities, families, what are some things that you see on kind of that broader level that we should be aware of and consider moving toward, Laura? Yeah, I think um, 
there are a lot of things here, but but one main thing is just thinking through disability education. And I don't know that it's made its way into churches as much as maybe some other types of education have. And so even, you know, hearing about it, hearing about it taught in Sunday schools or um, helping children to understand Imago Day beyond just like, hey, child, you're made in the image of God, but understanding that, you know, all children, regardless of how they act or look are. Um, I even think the church can do um, a great job of being able to lobby for disability education in schools. It's something that's not currently part of the main curriculum. And so if you are a part of a local public school, that might be an opportunity to be able to um, bring disability education into into the school. Maybe you're part of a private school. In addition, I think the church could continue to talk about it from the pulpit. A lot of times it's not an example that we're always using. Um, It's we we have a lot of I mean, I'm sure every church has their kind of ones that they fall back on. But continuing to just say, hey, this is this is a very real thing in our church and to recognize that it's occurring and to use it um, for education classes or things like what we're doing here, Mark, with our this podcast. I mean, this makes me so happy that we're able to talk about it here. and then I think just individuals within a church on a broad level, we can continue to do a better job of moving towards people with disabilities and reaching out and being willing to be uncomfortable around people. And I tell my kids a lot, hey, see the least. And that little phrase is designed to help them scan a room and see someone who's left out and someone who isn't included and to go towards them. And, and they know that that's what it means. There's a lot of meaning packed up in this little see the least phrase. But Mark, I can't tell you what it means to me when I see, you know, a, a big, strong man stoop low and talk to my daughter and to give her attention, knowing that, you know, I, she may either run and give him a hug or run away from him and kind of yell, like, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> and that he's willing to be humble and to have a level of self-forgetfulness. It is so incredibly beautiful to see that. And that's kind of, that that's something that just means so much to me as a mom. I don't always notice it, but loving Eden means loving me. And I think that is something that as a church, as individuals, we can start to do more and more. And I think about as my daughter grows and she becomes less cute and she becomes less, you know, kind of toddler fun I will be honest, Mark, and I think, okay, how are people going to treat her then when she's she's a young woman who has um, changed significantly in her physical appearance? And how are we one-on-one going to love her well? And And that's just like a question of individuals saying, I'm willing to go first and I'm willing to approach that person and feel uncomfortable for 15 minutes to talk with them, to make conversation, to stand there awkwardly, you know, and and but that also is like just such a picture of God moving towards us and that he does all of the work and that he carries the weight and i think we can do that for other people of come and to carry the relationship even though we feel kind of awkward about it or we don't really get anything in return um it really loves them well and i think it's something that as a church we could do better at mm-hmm. there are people i'm sure mm-hmm. if you're out there listening to the podcast and you're hearing Laura talk, you think, I know a Laura or I know an Eden in my life. You know, I know a wonderful mom or a dad who is caring for a child with disability. And my word to you would be, why don't you take a step toward them, you know, the next week or two? It could be a text, a phone call, just an intentional presence 
of God's grace in their life through you. But um, I especially hope people move toward Eden, not just mm-hmm. your Eden, but that that type of a child made in God's image who's so precious to us, who we want to be the sort of community that values that. You know, Laura, there's this old um, stories from the first couple centuries of the church where they talk about the things that marked the church of Jesus out as being distinct. And one of the phrases in, in there, this it was really actually not a Christian apologist, but a person mocking the Christian faith. He said, they, unlike other people, don't expose their children to the elements. Mm. And in Roman culture, exposure was a form of infanticide or what we would think of as abortion here. They literally left their children outside to the gods. Okay. And um, what they said is Christians wouldn't expose their children, but would actually go around and collect the children left and abandoned. So what the image of God has always meant to the church is that we saw the people that society threw out and said they're valuable. We saw the people that were overlooked and said, no, God sees you, so we see you. And so my hope is just in little snippets like this, a conversation with a mom, a piece on the podcast, a way someone interacts as a champion inside of a, you know, just a classroom with a kid who's a buddy and helps them through the classroom, puts them on their shoulders and carries them through. Um, That we're the sort of people who the world looks at and goes, they value the sort of people that other people don't. That would say the right thing about God right? It'd say the right thing about people. It'd say the right thing in the world. And so, Laura, thanks for spending just a little bit of time. I know it's a passion on your heart, uh, but it's also just a great gift to our church for you to share some of your story and just to share some of the wisdom. So again, Laura, thank you so much for the time on the Quip Podcast. Really, really appreciate you doing it today. Thanks for having me.